0: my name is matt sprazza
1: i'm father sam kachuba welcome to the tangent dr john Bergma, thank you so much for for joining us today um, i'm really excited to talk with you and i know uh we've got a, a ton of stuff that we can cover here there's there's just infinite things but uh, first just welcome thank you for doing this
0: Oh, yeah. It's absolutely my pleasure. Yeah. Father Sam, that was so astute of you, to just recognize that there are infinite things. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Thank
1: you. Yeah, no, I mean, infinity is, is, is real. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, <laughs> To infinity and yeah. beyond. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a particular way, Dr. Berksman, we want to talk today about uh, the the Emmaus Academic uh, and these these uh, courses that you're offering, uh, and uh, in particular, the Dead Sea Scrolls course. But there's obviously, there's lots of other things that I, I know you're offering, so I'm sure we're going to branch into that. But first, just tell us a little bit about what what Emmaus Academic is and what the Emmaus Academy looks like.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know... Um, Emmaus Academy is an outgrowth of the St. Paul Center, uh, which is an apostolate um, uh, based in Steubenville, Ohio, right next to Franciscan University, started by Dr. and Mrs. uh, Scott Hahn uh, some 20 years ago um, with a dual mission to uh, foster biblical literacy for laity and biblical fluency for clergy. And uh, we've, over the past 20 years, we've grown from a staff of three to a staff of 50, uh, wow. just moving into a new uh, 52,000 square foot uh, facility uh, that's literally being finished this month. Um, my office is all in boxes, and I'm about to be moved <laughs> wow. in uh, later this week. Welcome to your new home. <laughs> uh, yeah exactly and uh so welcome folks if if they ever come to visit stewinville uh check out the saint paul center you can't miss it because you have to pass it to get to the university um big big building on the on the hillside there but um but again this uh you know the saint paul center uh, started 20 years ago we've really seen the needle move in terms of um, the effect that the center has had. Uh, People have been noticing uh, much greater biblical preaching uh, around the U.S. in particular at at Catholic uh, parishes. And we think part of that's uh, the result of our efforts and other great uh, organizations as well. But um, a new initiative that really came out of COVID where we were unable to do uh, live events uh, was this Emmaus Academy where we can stream short uh, college Essentially, college-level courses. I mean, it's, they're all taught by folks with doctorates, essentially, uh, but but very you know, but very easy, accessible. You know, maybe uh, six to twelve sessions, half hour a piece. No papers, no exams. Don't get graded. Are there are short quizzes just to keep you honest, um, but uh, but really be able to transmit just super high quality biblical, theological, spiritual education to folks in their homes. So Emmaus Academy is really kind of a high-level streaming service uh, for folks that, you know, have had kind of a a good initial catechesis and feel comfortable with the Catholic faith but are asking themselves, okay, what's the next Mm -hmm. step? You know, where do I go beyond this? How can I go a little bit deeper? And uh, that's really what we're trying to do. Okay.
1: So you you make the distinction between literacy and fluency. Uh, Let's dig into that a little bit because I, I think it's a great distinction to make.
2: Yes. So literacy means I'm comfortable with the Bible. When somebody says Isaiah, I know where to find it. Um, uh, I I have an idea of the biblical storyline. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not intimidated if somebody hands me, uh, you know, a New Testament and says, uh, you know, can you find Revelation, et cetera. That's all. That's all literacy. So it's a, a comfort level and a familiarity. Now fluency. Uh, uh indicates uh more more than just comfort it indicates kind of mastery mm-hmm. um so or a certain level of mastery at, at least uh so when you when you take the scriptures um you know for example that um the parable of the Good Samaritan is only going to be found in Luke, and it's not in the other three Gospels, where you know that the wedding at Cana is in John 2, and uh, you know, you're not going to find it in Mark, um, etc. cetera. Uh, you understand the, the difference uh, in emphasis Uh, Between uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, for example, and you know that the only prophecy of the new covenant uh, in the Old Testament is going to be found in Jeremiah 31, Mm. you know, things like that. So uh, fluency is, yeah, again, just uh, this kind of you know, just like when you're fluent with a language, if you're fluent in French, you know, it just it rolls off the tongue. You don't have to think about it. Uh, you're you're perfectly comfortable there. So th- that's kind of the the difference
1: we're talking okay. about. Yeah. And then, as you're as you're offering these these courses, are you finding that? your audience is primarily very motivated individuals who, who want to do it? Is it parish groups? Is it priests who are are doing this for their own personal edification, lay people who are jumping in? Um, are you finding a mix of all of that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would say a mix of all of that. I think uh, most of our subscribers to Emmaus Academy are, um, you know, lay Catholics who are looking for that next step and want to go deeper in their faith. They're just hungry for more, more formation. Um, but, but, uh, a lot of it is also being used by parish groups because once you have a subscription to the Academy, you can play these courses in any environment. So they're great for, uh, you know, a Sunday morning men's group or, uh, adult ed, you know, you just. Put it on the big screen, press play. At the end, you ask some questions. There, there, you know, no prep. It's a lazy man's way to adult ed. <laughs> you're, you're speaking to a pastor
1: <laughs> here, so I love, I love hearing that.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just super high quality stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and a fair number of clergy. A, a kind of a disproportionate number of our subscribers are are priests who've come to one of our three um, uh, nationwide uh, priest conferences. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have. California, Texas, and uh, West Virginia, in January, April, and June, uh, respectively, every year. And uh, priests come to our conferences. You know, subscribe to the surface, uh, and and sometimes it fills little gaps in in um, folks's formation. Sure. Like maybe I didn't, you know, I was sick that semester <laughs> in seminary. You know, t- didn't get uh, you know anything on the prophets. So
1: <laughs> I always remember my, my Old Testament. Um, Particularly the Pentateuch professor, uh, he had this. He didn't want to teach the course, and he told us at the very beginning of the course that he didn't want to teach it. He was teaching it in obedience, uh, so he he had to teach it. And so he, he teaches the course, and he says, "You're going to be very bored the whole time because I don't like teaching this, so I don't try to make the class exciting." And I remember like the first day, going, "Am I hearing him correctly? What what's wrong?" at the end of the class he said I know that nobody really enjoyed this class uh, and nobody will applaud that the class is over so t- to help me to, to feel like I've-, I've done something I've brought a little creature and he reaches into his bag and he pulls out this wind up monkey with symbols and he winds it up and the, and the monkey starts clashing the symbols together and he says this is my applause that I get and then he was done with the course it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever experienced but sure enough I don't think I ever really dove into like Genesis and anything right. of, of the Pentateuch until yeah. Until, oh, shame. it was terrible. Until much later, when I started finding some of these resources that were out there. So, yes, I can tell you that for sure. Uh, Emmaus Academy is filling in some gaps in formation.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. How sad! That breaks all the rules of pedagogy, <laughs> and, and also, I mean, such beautiful texts, especially in Genesis and, and elsewhere. Oh, to not to not uh, just be joyful about teaching those is a real yeah. shame. It yeah. seems to anyway. me that. Um,
0: that Emmaus Academy is it's fitting that we're having that we're we're doing this interview during Advent, right? Advent is the time where you want to empty yourself of, of earthy attachments and ready yourself to welcome the Lord. And I hear Emmaus Academy is the invitation to cancel Netflix, you know, and and instead (laughs) dive into something that'll like, you know, that'll improve your relationship to the Lord. So I really like that. Um, Speak- Amen. man, I couldn't agree more. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of um, Advent, with the course being on the major prophets, Father, not the Dead Sea Scrolls, although oh, actually sorry. the Dead Sea Scrolls play a role. Um,
1: Can we talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls, though, because I'm fascinated by those.
2: <laughs> yeah, to, so that no word of yours falls to the ground, we'll do, we'll do a course on the yes. scrolls uh, coming up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. How can the how can un, d, a deeper understanding of the major prophets prepare me for Christmas?
2: Oh well, you know that's like a softball question <laughs> because uh, as folks have probably noticed in Mass, um, you know the, the predominant readings uh, for the Advent season are from Isaiah, and uh, there's this huge emphasis during Advent of. You know, reading through the prophets, especially Isaiah, because he's the most prominent, but we do get readings mixed in from others like Jeremiah or Micah, for example. But um, huge emphasis on on kind of in Advent going back and reliving the experience of ancient Israel who had these prophetic words and were waiting for their uh, fulfillment and their expectation. And uh, so we read about, you know, for example, this this God-man who's going to sit on the throne and he's going to be uh, the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, um, etc. And that's, of course, Isaiah 9, a remarkable passage. It's coming from 700 years before Jesus is born, but it's, it's talking about a son and a child who's gonna be born, he's gonna be given. So a human being from the royal dynasty, from the line of David, if we read in context there in Isaiah nine, so we're gonna get this royal child and he's gonna have both divine and human qualities. Um, he's gonna be everlasting father. Um, you know, He's gonna be mighty God. You know, think about that. That's literally what it says. But then he's going to be wonderful counselor and prince of peace. Wonder, you know, wonderful counselor and prince of peace. Those were attributes of Solomon, uh, David's son, who was this great legal mind, and his name meant peace. You know, so he was literally prince peace. You know, and but but those are those are the qualities on the outside of that famous statement in Isaiah nine. But on the inside, it's a mighty God, and everlasting Father. So we have this prophecy of someone who's going to appear on the outside like a royal son of David, but on the inside is going to be God, so to speak. And uh, that's just mind-blowing, okay? That's the hypostatic union. That's the Council of Nicaea. That's two natures in one person, 700 years before he's born. And we don't get that in other religions, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, nobody prophesied Muhammad, <laughs> no offense, but <laughs> nobody was looking forward yeah. to him or <laughs> expecting him. Uh, same with buddha you know nobody is waiting for buddha there aren't prophecies in the bhagavad gita you know that that siddhartha is going to come one day and we could go on, and on to different world religions and talk about that and in judaism boy i mean i just love my brother you know brothers in the faith in judaism who share the faith of abraham and i have so much respect for judaism but but the prophecies are not fulfilled in judaism Th- those, right. those Orthodox Jews that still believe in the prophecies, they're all waiting for all of it. You know, right. and, and so, this is really a unique phenomenon. We think that other religions are like this, but no, you know, this is really unique. That Christianity says, look, you know, 500, 600, 700 or more years before the coming of Jesus, we have these prophecies that really have only been and, and could only have been fulfilled uh, by hmm. him. And uh, th- this is this is amazing, and it's really a testimony to the uniqueness of our faith, of our religion, uh, and and to the credibility of of Jesus that he does a credible job of of fulfilling these expectations that that seem outlandish. I mean. Isaiah, what are you talking about? how is somebody gonna be a mighty god and right. and a royal son like how can that even mm-hmm. be? but then this guy shows up he's from the line of david, he forgives sins, he heals people he controls the forces of nature I'm like whoa, right. you know you know that you know I just gotta you gotta sit back and contemplate that that's that's all you can do yeah.
0: so i I remember in um Fulton Sheen's life of Christ. I don't know if it's in the first chapter, second chapter, but he, he proposes essentially that argument, right? He, he says that prophecy is, is the motive of credibility, right? For the Christian faith. Right. Um, yeah. and, and I'm curious as someone who is a, you know, obviously a professor of theology, right? Um, do you think that one prophecy is, is the motive of credibility, right? And if you were to ever meet an atheist, which I'm sure you have, um, what is the thing that you try and use to convince that atheist, right, of the Christian faith? Do you jump to prophecy? I know I have a tendency to jump to philosophy, right, because I think that we live in an age that that obviously holds reason so high. You know, and like if hmm. I said, see these prophecies, how they're fulfilled, someone would just look at me and be like, no, they're just made up stories, you know. It's so easy to just try right. and write it off, even though it's obviously difficult in reality, you know. Um, anyway, sorry. What do you think is the primary motive of credibility? How do you go about that conversation?
2: Yeah, I do think that prophecy is a motive of, cre- of credibility, um, but there are several. Um, with a, with an atheist, I might not start with prophecy because uh, there's going to be so much. You know, I'm going to have to cut through so many layers of misinformation about scripture. There's been so many atheist scholars who've come come a, a, along and made accusations and said, "Well, the texts are dated late, or they're fictitious, and so on." And those accusations are wrong, but it's kind of a, a kind of a thicket. of of disinformation that i'd have to chop through with a machete and take a while so i might not go immediately to prophecy although that would come up eventually but probably go first to something kind of like in hard science like the origin of life or uh, the fine-tuning of the universe um, uh, things like this or maybe even something like near-death experiences many of which have been really uh, you know amazingly documented and really hard to refute Mm -hmm. Um, I, I might start with uh, with those uh, first. Yeah. It's um, a good thing we talked to Father but, uh, Robert Spitzer yeah. then,
1: because uh, he gave us he gave yes. us some oh, great I, stuff I on, on that.
2: I'm very familiar with his work. I use his stuff, yeah. um, no doubt. I teach a course on religion and science, and we go over. Uh, all of this material yeah. that uh, really shows that the, you know an atheist worldview is is a worldview in denial because you have to reject the evidence of fine tuning of origin of life of um, you know the, the mysteries of biology of the Cambrian explosion. Now we're getting into the really uh, thick weeds here, <laughs> but uh, all, all kinds of stuff you know quantum physics even. Yeah. Uh, and many things.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting, as, as we're talking about the, the reasons for credibility and, and looking at that, um, as you're teaching theology, um, what are you finding are the big questions that your students end up bringing forward? Uh, because I, I think in, in every in every year even we might find slightly different reasons that somebody decided they wanted to pursue theology as a course of study Um, outside especially of in in a college setting like uh, it's required for the core you you have to have a certain amount (laughs) Uh, so especially in those in those courses that are chosen by the students um, uh, what are you finding are like the motivations for them to take that class or the the things that they really want to dive into
2: yeah. Well, you know, ironically, I think a, a big one in the contemporary generation is identity. Now, that's a loaded term, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there's so much confusion about who am I? And a lot of it is due to the breakdown of family and tradition. And so, uh, kids barely even know their grandparents. Um, you know, uh, sometimes they don't know their dad. You know, uh, this kind of thing, and that's very widespread in the culture. So you are just kind of born, you have no context, you have very little nuclear family, maybe no extended family, mm-hmm. and so who am I? And so, you know, we know that our culture is trying to find identity, and you know, sexual preference or something like that. And well, I'm I'm this or I'm that, um, but uh, but the faith. Uh, gives you an identity, the faith says, you are a son or a daughter of God. Um, there is a long story going back to the beginning of human history where God had you in mind this whole mm-hmm. time. God loved you, your, your ancestors departed from God and, and sinned, but God sent his son uh, to save you and now is inviting you into this relationship and into this, into this spiritual family, which is the Catholic Church, which is amazing. Because because on the one hand, it's so personal. Um, every local community has a Catholic church, uh, just, you know, maybe just blocks away from where you live uh, that that you can be part of. And yet it's amazingly universal, 2 billion people uh, around the world. Um, maybe it's 1 billion. I'm sorry, that. <laughs> don't quote me on the <laughs> stats, but it's a lot. And um uh, all over the world and and you know you you you're part of this family that's as local as my little town of Steubenville and yet I can go to Rome and meet people from all over the world and we all know the mass and we can all worship at St Peter's Basilica so um, you know I have I have literally you know young people who are converts um, in my classes who you know went to a state school and um, Started looking for something real, you know, something bigger than themselves, and moved through different religions, moved even through different forms of Christianity. Eventually, found the Catholic faith, and then transferred to Franciscan University of Steubenville mm-hmm. to pursue this more deeply. And uh, they they found fulfillment. They found what they've been looking for, and uh, so I think that's a big thing for the current generation.
0: You know, and and just one little uh, add on to that last part so I, I used to teach in a high school and by used to, I mean, just last year. Um, and, and I had a lot of students on the verge of going to college. Right. And there is a tendency to not want to, right. Attend a particular school, uh, because of the, you know, I'll grow in my faith there. Um, Not not all of my students, you know, that I I was I was blessed enough to work at a a Catholic school that took the faith really seriously. So I certainly had a lot of students that were, you know, that were choosing particular schools because they thought the Lord was either calling them there or they thought they could find the Lord there. Um, But but anyone that's listening to this that is, you know, on the verge of making that decision, I just want to assure them that that is a good enough reason to pick a school. You know, like, you know, because we live in this world that so values, well, what work am I going to do? You know, and it's yeah. like, well, your work is meaningless if it's not in the Lord. You know, so, so choosing your school based on your faith is definitely a good enough reason.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that should be a higher reason even than a particular field right. because statistically uh, rising uh, high school seniors um, have like, a, you know, a 5% chance of actually knowing what they're going to end up doing, um, it, it, but but they'll choose a school because well it had this program and I wanted to go into that and invariably they end up changing you know, so I'd say you know really choose the environment and then there don't worry about the job you know what does the Lord say you know uh, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you so you're going to find a career the Lord's going to uh, enable you to. To um, you know, to make money and and to provide for family, but choose an environment where um, you're going to grow in your faith and and grow closer to others who have that same passion for Jesus.
1: Mm. Well, speaking of the major prophets, then that's that's very much something that we see with uh, well with, with Jeremiah right and we, we talked to Dr. Scott Hahn about this that the the Jeremiah option right to so to to build houses to plant gardens to have children to to raise a family uh, that God will prosper that work i have plans for your welfare not for your woe mm-hmm. uh, that's a prophecy of, of one of the major prophets that actually applies very much to every single Christian, to each one of us in our own lives, uh, that, that there's something God wants to do. And so, like Matt said, making a choice for, for a college because it's a place where you're going to grow in your faith, uh, that's, a, that's a really good idea. Um, we have a lot of parents, I think, who are struggling with that, too, because they, they want their kids to be successful right? They want their kids to, right. to thrive, uh, not naturally. only in, in their faith. But yeah, naturally, right? They want their I kids mean, to thrive. Yeah. It's a good desire. It's a If holy you are desire. hoping
0: that your child won't thrive,
1: bigger problems. Yeah. They want their kid to be successful, uh, to have a career and everything, and to have that security that, that comes from it. Um, but I think... It, parents just as much as a, a kid going off to college are subject to the very same temptation to think we've got to plot everything out. We've got to have everything all lined up and set and perfect and, and ready to go. And we've got to do all of this for the most practical reason. You know, um, what advice would you give to parents? I mean, and this is way off topic from the, the major prophets, but what, what advice would you give to parents <laughs> who are helping the tangent, their kids Dr. to make Marshall. that? <laughs> what advice would you give to parents who yeah. are making that, that decision with, with their kids?
2: Yeah, I would, my advice to parents is that um, your first criteria in choosing a school is one, one where they're going to get uh, good formation in their faith and where what you've taught your kids about the faith is going to be af- affirmed and continued. Um, I, when I encounter parents, maybe parents who've not been in academia or not fam- familiar with university culture, um, I find, uh, frankly, that they're terribly naive about how vicious and toxic the university environment can be and how absolutely um, terrible uh, and uh, oppressive uh, it can be for a Christian young person mm-hmm. uh, to be at uh, you know, some state school or, 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 a, or a nominally Catholic environment. That's even worse, in my opinion, is a school that identifies as Catholic but isn't. Um, because at least at, in a secular school, you have no expectations. But when you go someplace that calls itself Catholic, you have expectations. And when you find that it's in some ways can even be more more toxic and more anti-faith uh, mm-hmm. than even a secular environment, where at least in a secular environment, sometimes Catholicism is considered part of diversity, right? So it's like okay, yeah. you know, different strokes for different strokes, folks. Mm-hmm. You're you're weird in a Catholic way. This person's weird in another way. You know, and there can be a tolerance
1: as long as we're all weird together,
2: right? <laughs> exactly. We're in our different ways, but uh, oftentimes on a on a, a, um, a nominally Catholic university campus, there can be kind a, of a, a vicious uh, uh, aggression against um, you know true true Catholicism. Right. Uh, because there's been a rejection of it on the part of um, faculty members and administration. So anyway, try to keep this brief. But I would say to parents: look, um, uh, it, it is you're handing your child over uh, to spend an enormous amount of time with with um, university professors. Many of whom are morally corrupt and and intellectually depraved, okay? And you're handing your, your, your child over to be formed by these people. Like why would you do that? You're, you're playing Russian roulette with yeah. uh, your child's eternal salvation, okay? Don't don't take that chance. I would never just you know send my kid off to random, you know, random university uh, because they've got a good you know program in mechanical engineering or something like that. Um, I know the university environment. My father, I, you know, I, part of my growing up was on the campus of Princeton University, mm-hmm. and my dad would come home daily from classes and talk about what they were teaching him uh, in theology, which was just crazy. You know, no virgin birth, no miracles, Jesus isn't divine, oh. et cetera. And this was this was 30 years ago, 40 years right. ago. And um, so, yeah, it just—I would just urge parents: uh, it's just, you know, don't play Russian roulette with your kids' faith. Send them someplace that's going to affirm the same values that you hold, and—and um, and that's in the long run better. That, you know, even if it means maybe l- earning a little bit less money, which it probably won't. Okay, it's probably not going to make any difference to your child's earning power, honestly. But even if it did, it'd be worth it, and especially the factor also of finding a spouse, because a lot of young people um, do find their spouses in those college years. It's a good, it's a good time to get married, and so you want you know a a, a target-rich environment <laughs> <laughs> of a, a potential potential life partners who share the faith. Right. So think about that. That's a very serious consideration, actually. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah.
1: Well, and there's so much that can happen, too, in the in the post-college years in terms of, like, career changes and things you never expect to do. I always tell people my dad's story that he went to college as a biologist, started actually as a theology major, switched to biology, and then ended up uh, working in, in zoos for a little while, then taught high school chemistry and retired as a full-time musician. Uh, so there's, there's any number of different things Retired that can end up doing. Retired
0: as state troubadour. No,
1: well the state, he was state troubadour a long time ago, but oh, know, okay, that's, right, which right. is a thing, by the way, there's such a thing as the Connecticut state troubadour. Uh, it's a real office. Oh he gosh, got a hat and everything. That. It was great. Uh, well, the hat was a joke from his friends, but that's a whole other, other story that someday we'll have to have my dad on just to interview him and talk about yeah. his entire but career path. But only if he wears the hat. His entire career path is just a series of tangents woven together. It's fantastic. Oh, I love it. Um, let's let's come back to the Emmaus Academy here for a second because I think there's there's something really important going on that you're you're intuiting, uh, recognizing, feeling an inspiration. I, I don't know how you would describe Emmaus Academy coming to birth, but there's there's something very clearly that that is a need in the life of the church in the United States that is being responded to, by what you're doing with with Emmaus, um, so maybe just like talk us through a little bit more in detail what what's going on there. What what was the need that you were seeing coming forth, maybe especially during the pandemic, post pandemic. How did you see it all coming together?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So what we see is you know a need again for that kind of mid level formation between uh, you know uh, RCIA, um, you know basic Bible study, uh, basic habits of prayer uh and then there's a there's a gap between that and uh and quitting your job and going to university and getting a theology degree okay <laughs> so there's there's that that middle and um and it's it's um, not addressed there's so many people um due to due to great work by by individual dioceses, as well as a lot of apostolates and movements, ecclesial movements that are out of there. There's a lot of people coming to the faith late in life, or coming back to the faith late at life, uh, late in life. You know, middle-aged converts, etc. And uh, and and like oh wow you know now I see the importance of this and what have I been missing and uh, why did I not you know pay attention to this and so uh, folks are are, um, are are getting reignited in their faith and wanting to come to know more and and one of the one of the. Gaps uh, that we have, especially, is in Catholic biblical instruction, and there's there's historical and sociological reasons for that, uh, why we haven't been as strong in Bible um, as others, and is part of it is you know kind of a culture of anti-Protestantism, and it's like the Protestants uh, took took Scripture, and they're like well, okay, well if you're gonna do Scripture, then we're gonna you know emphasize something else or whatever, a uh, little bit of an attitude like that. Um, but uh, but again, there's there's a bit of a hole, and sometimes the um, sometimes the biblical formation that that has been offered has not been great quality, or it's been rewarmed, oftentimes um, kind of like liberal Protestant stuff from the 19th century and so on, um, and, uh, and and so we're we're trying to address that and uh, really provide something that's solid, that's faith based that takes seriously the inspiration of scripture as god's word um it's it's freedom from error as the as the church has taught um the fact that this is not mythical it's not legendary you know obviously there's parables etc but um but these are real people Isaiah Jeremiah Ezekiel there's no question uh, they were men of their times um these were real historical events they're talking about a real future about you know a man jesus christ who came and walked among us etc so uh, kind of there's this real need for this kind of mid-level um biblical instruction that takes seriously what the church has always taught and believed about scripture and just opens that up and allows that to be life-giving because the word of god is it gives life it is the seed Mm -hmm. you know that comes in and bears fruit when it meets uh, with good soil and just kind of unleashing that seed of god's word in the lives of lay catholics that's really what we're looking at and and, and trying to achieve
1: mm-hmm. something that bishop cajano uh, has been talking about here in the diocese of bridgeport matt i'm not sure if he's talked about this on his podcast on let me be frank but uh, i know he talked about it in a, a meeting that he had with all of us priests and he was emphasizing the point that catechesis which we typically think of in terms of our parish religious ed programs focused on children, that catechesis actually, in, according to the directory for catechesis, is actually an adult undertaking. It's something that we really need to educate our, our adults in the faith. Uh, and so catechesis is not only about handing on the faith to, to children, but it, it, it is rather about helping adults to do this. So what I'm noticing that you're talking about here is that it's it's mid-level in terms of trying to meet people at, at, at a, a level of, of academic uh, understanding that they might have, considering that many people stop their catechetical endeavors in eighth grade or freshman year of high school. If they go to a Catholic high Sorry. school, they'll have religion class all the way through. Uh, if they happen to go to a Catholic university, they might or might not have credible theology being taught to them. So again, their, their formation academically, intellectually in the faith might not be all that advanced. It could be, very well could be. But It's taking seriously that these are adults that you're speaking to. And so this is catechesis, but not in a—I think if we can remove the association of catechesis as being only for children and start to see catechesis as something that actually this is very much what we do because we are adults. We continue to learn our faith and engage. How do you encourage adults to take that intellectual aspect of their faith really seriously?
2: Yes. Well, it's not possible to really encourage them unless you know, they've, they've caught fire in the heart, yeah. actually, and, and come to know the person of Jesus Christ and, and um, uh, you know, um, embraced the, the reality that every baptized person is called to a life of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just as James and John, Andrew and Peter were fishermen by the sea, and Jesus came along and said, Follow me. So I might be a banker, I might be a homemaker, I might be a taxi driver or a contractor or whatever. And Jesus is passing by my life and he says, Come, follow. Okay. And that that not that doesn't mean I gotta walk off the job site, you know, and quit my job and become a monk. Uh, but I can be a contractor, I can build houses, and I can do that in a way that that is that lives out a life of discipleship of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then that is, you know, that life of discipleship is holistic. You know, um, the, the ancient Jews, the way that they practiced education was complete imitation. Like, So if you apprenticed yourself to a rabbi, you imitated everything that he did down to the way that he ate. Mm-hmm. Uh, how he drank his water, um, his handwriting, whatever—it was just complete emulation. And, and in fact, the the, uh, the collections of rabbinic lore, like the the Talmud, are full of uh, sometimes uh, ribald and and uh, eccentric stories about the extremes <laughs> to which you know these disciples would go—you know, hiding out and spying on their rabbi master in so in order to imitate everything that he that he possibly did. So that is that is Jewish education is, is this is this complete imitation. And so each one of us, you know, again, I'm a banker, educator, homemaker, contractor, et cetera, we want to imitate the life of Christ. and 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 that has an intellectual dimension, right? That has a knowledge dimension. And one of the things that we see about Jesus was that Jesus was just so intimately familiar with Scripture. Um, scripture just comes pouring out of him, like when we look at our Lord's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that the parables that he tells are drawing on earlier parables taught by the prophets, and that there's this, this amazing continuity. So, think about in and at crisis moments in our Lord's life, he typically quotes from scripture like when we look at his seven last words most of his seven last words are actually allusions or quotations you know so think about that you know if this is the god man is this if this is the the man by whom we count the years okay he is um you know he is the creator in human flesh and and what does he spend a lot of his time doing Meditating on Mm. the prophets, okay. Meditating on Scripture, the law and the prophets. Jesus Himself comes, you know, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, His greatest sermon. He says, "I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them." Okay. So that was the mission of the God-Man, and so if that's what the God-Man did, can I maybe, you know, spend a half hour, okay, a few times a week? I just try to familiarize myself with these things that that uh that Jesus thought was so important. Um you know, I, I don't know, our, our priorities I I like I like the bit about canceling Netflix because you know when you said that Matt, I'm just like, you know, I don't I I, I did cancel my Netflix a number of years ago and they started putting out a whole bunch of bad stuff that I just really didn't was not comfortable yeah. with. Uh, but I still I still spend t- too much time on on streaming and right. you know social media YouTube, things like that and and you you just convicted me again, Matt. I'm like, why do I spend time look at looking at garbage that's just you know at best, you know, inter- meaningless entertainment when when I can really be, you know, studying this stuff that was so important to the God man?
0: Yeah, I think that um, I mean we've we've interviewed a number of guests where that topic has come up. Uh, one of which was Father Basil Nortz, and he wrote a book through Sophia Institute all about silence, um, and, mm-hmm. and removing the noise from your life. And he he kind of broke through with me because he basically said, "I asked him the question. N- no, I, I I did the. Uh, I th- <laughs> this is not what my thought process was, but I do think it's a a practice <laughs> of of you know." ancient rabbis that they would go to the extreme, you know, that's like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the theology professor, but Nicodemus, when he's like, you know, am I supposed to go back inside my mom? It's like, he's not an idiot, you know, he doesn't think that's possible. Um, But so I said to him, you know, at the time, my son, I think was maybe one month or two months old. And so I was like, listen, he cries a lot, you know, can't remove that noise from my life you know, so, so elaborate here. And, and he is the one who jumped to, well, all this media, it's just noise, you know, like, and there is such a thing as quote unquote, good noise. If you listen to sacred music, that's something that builds Mm -hmm. you up, you know? And so, um, it's been a piece of my particular faith journey for the last couple of weeks, at least, um, that I've been trying to identify and eliminate all the, all that bad noise. Mm Um, but, but to bring it
2: Advent's a great time yeah. for that too. It's just a great time to, to be silent, be peaceful, yeah.
0: recognize your poverty, yeah. you know, and, Absolutely. and depend upon the wealth of the Lord. Um, but, but to bring it back to scripture here, I think one of the reasons that people, uh, or, or Catholics rather, right. Are so hesitant to jump into scriptures because it's so daunting, you know, very rarely do I look at a several thousand page book and say, that's going to be easy. Um, and, and, and it's on
1: such thin paper, you know, so, you know, yeah, it's serious. Yeah. That's
0: it. So crumb. There's no pictures. Um, there's no pictures. Oh man. So tough. Um, but, but I, I also know that, um, you know, you're talking about Jesus and how he's so essentially so fluent with scripture. Right. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, he was part of the Godhead that, uh, Said, you know, wrote it, um, but but it does bring out you know. Well, how do I memorize scripture? Right? Like, what are what are the practical tips to this? You know, aside from I'm going to jump into it a couple times a week minimum for thirty minutes. Right? Even when I do that, I walk away saying, I got it. But if I needed to repeat it without it in front of me, <laughs> that, might, that might be rough. Um, so, just practical tips there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I uh, I did write write a book uh, specifically to address this, like the intimidation factor, uh, right. you know, of wow, you know, like here I've got a Bible right by me, right? Like that's a big big book, Bible, right? <laughs> and, and and this one's got no pictures, right? Oh. Uh, so I, I wrote a little book called Bible Basics for Catholics, and uh, it uses stick figures to teach the biblical storyline. That's okay, awesome. and this is actually in some circles, this is mostly what I'm known for, uh, is uh, the guy that does the stick figures. So um, I started this. Th- this is my teaching method in class at Franciscan. You know, I get you know these 18 year olds, and they don't they don't know the Bible. They've heard lots of stories at, at Mass, you know, and um, and so we draw stuff on the board. You know, we draw Adam, we draw Moses, we draw Jesus, etc. And we we draw the story in in a very simple fashion, and um, what I discovered, Matt, was that um, you know I grew up as a Protestant, and my mom made me read the Bible like five or six chapters a day, so I would read the Bible through in a year, every year, starting at age twelve, from Genesis to Revelation, yeah, and I acquired a lot of knowledge about the facts. Uh, of Scripture, and I did believe, and I, I got the basic message, you know, for sure, and I knew Jesus, and I prayed, and all of that. But for most of the Bible, it was to me, it was a lot like what Henry Ford said about history. You know, it's like one darn thing after another. Although he didn't say darn, but anyway, <laughs> um, you get the point. It's like, well, it's just one thing after another. Like, where is this going?
0: Right. Where's the story?
2: Exactly. And that's because I didn't have the big picture of the storyline, and so. Uh, at the beginning of every class that I teach, we go over the biblical storyline, and typically, if I, if I have the opportunity, we draw it with the stick figures. And that's exactly what I do in this prophets course on Emmaus awesome. Academy. I, I know it's you know for folks that are familiar, but even if you are familiar, a lot of folks that know a lot don't have the big picture. Right. And I know because I had a doctorate in scripture and did not have the big picture. Mm-hmm. I could not like coherently tell you or like summarize what was going on. It was just like individual, you know, factoids, and it was only through working with Dr. Scott Hahn in, in a kind of a postdoc that I had with him, and then I went straight from that to teaching in the classroom. I was like, how can I? Boil down this great covenant stuff that I learned from Dr. Scott Hahn into a way that can be visualized, and that's when you know right. the, the stick figures came to me, and I I draw like the the seven major figures of salvation history on the mountaintops where they where they got the covenants, right. you know, the big covenants, the Adamic, Noahic, Abrahamic, etc. And um and and that really helps, and so. Even when we're talking about the prophets, you know they have they have a role in that big picture. They come just prior to the arrival of the new covenant. And they are that stage where you're in anticipation for this new family relationship that God is going to establish through his son. And that's what the prophets are doing is like preparing God's people. Mm-hmm. You know it's like the fourth Eucharistic prayer says, Again and again, you offer them covenants and through the prophets taught them to hope for salvation. That's a great summary of the Old Testament. And the prophets are at that last stage, kind of preparing the people to accept this salvation that's going to come. And of course, that's Jesus's name. His name is literally salvation. You know, that's what it means in Hebrew. And um, so, yeah, absolutely. So, I think, you know, um, not to toot my own horn, but uh, you know, pick up a copy of my Bible Basics for Catholics, right. um, and uh, and tr- try to get that that big picture, and then within that, um, if if you have the pick the big picture, then it helps to identify what passages are really, you know, worth memorizing, right. and a, a lot of those are. are You know, in the Old Testament, a lot of those are going to be key prophetic passages. Uh, You know, actually, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, the prophecy of the new covenant, for example, or Genesis three, fifteen, the prophecy of uh, of the seed of the woman who's going to crush the serpent's head. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I would you know, kind of my initial reaction to that.
1: Okay, Uh, we'll we'll definitely link to Bible Basics for Catholics in the show notes. uh, So and and there are Bible
0: Basics. Or, like, Psalm basics for Catholics, right? And, and,
1: yeah, yeah, nice New Testament basics,
2: and now, most recently, love basics, which is follows marriage through the Bible. Wow. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, using that's cool. Can you you just
0: dig into that for like two minutes?
2: Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, just, you know, over the past, uh, you know, Couple of decades, we've just seen like greater and greater confusion about gender and sexuality and marriage, and just kind of the the wheels coming off of that whole uh, vehicle uh, in our culture. And so, my response to that at Franciscan has been to teach to teach more about this in my Bible classes, point out how central marriage is to our faith. You know, the Eucharist is kind of like a wedding because you are the bride and you're coming forward and taking the body of your bridegroom into your body you know only two sacraments involve a bodily union and that's eucharist and matrimony wow so there's like this this matrimonial dimension to the christian faith that's just that operates on so many different levels jesus is a marriage in a person that's how the fathers saw him he's the marriage of human nature and divine nature in one person the two in one, and that's why on December twenty-first, uh, one of the f- the um, the first reading, or at least an option for the first reading, is uh, I think it's just the first. Anyway, um, is Song a uh, Song of Songs, uh, chapter two, is read on December twenty-first in daily mass, and it's this erotic poem that you know is this invitation to elope with the bridegroom. And it's like, why are we reading this romantic, you know, kind of nuptial right, stuff right. like. Right before you know it was supposed to be babies and a virgin born. and all that, you know <laughs> and, uh, but it's because it's because the the incarnation was understood by the fathers as this marriage where God weds his nature to wow. ours in one person in the Christ. Mm-hmm. and so this is, you know it it's so interconnected it's it's like a bunch of crystal wine glasses that all resonate at the same frequency, and so if you Put your finger around one the others hum as well and so the covenant between between god and the church the new covenant is a marriage of god and his people and then jesus is a marriage of human and divine nature and then our individual marriages like my marriage with my spouse Dawn, you know metaphysically like deeply resonate with those other realities and uh, you know, I need to be, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to make my marriage so that it it rings with the same frequency as the new covenant, the Eucharistic covenant, with 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 what's going on at Mass, and it's it's part of this this amazing interrelated reality, and so you know. M- when you read the bible too you begin with a marriage with adam and eve in the garden in genesis and you go to a marriage of the bride and the lamb in revelation 21 and 22 so from beginning to the end of the bible it's it's all about marriage in a sense it's all this matrimonial journey this this communion this union ultimately between god and his and his mm. people and so I really wanted, I, I've been trying to communicate that in my classes, and then most recently in this book, Love Basics, just super simple. Uh, again, stick figures, you know, stick for Adam and Eve in the garden, we draw this, you know, and then the, the bride and the lamb at the end, we do that as well, you know, and all along the way, Isaac and Rebecca, you know, Boaz and Ruth, you know, um, Jesus in the church, you um, it's it's just this constant theme. And so I'm trying to get especially young people, but not just young people, all of us, to see that, hey, you know, marriage isn't something that the Supreme Court is free to redefine, you know, or something that we invent, or that came from our evolution from lobsters, I'll, I'll, <laughs> Jordan Peterson or something like this. Although I like Jordan, I don't want to get into that, but you know, anyway. Um, uh, it, it is this. It is. It's a fundamental reality that comes out of God's nature and is reflected through
1: the whole story of salvation. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you're using stick figures because I think both Matt and I would be able to, to relate to that. Is like, if, if we're going to get into the arts, the the arts for for Matt and I is going to be definitely in the area of music and oh, yeah. and talking, songwriting, things like that. Yeah. That's the that's the space that he and I can can kind of yeah. occupy. So visual arts are not really our thing. So if if you're telling us that it's okay to use stick figures, then I feel much oh, better now walking into a religious ed classroom and talking to the kids there that if I've got to draw something out, it's okay for me to use stick figures. Yeah. Cause I Dr. mean, I got to be Birch honest, you, stick figures.
0: My, my stick figures <laughs> won't even be that good. <laughs> I, I can't draw. I can't draw a straight line. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm sure you saw you yourself yeah. short. <laughs> um, so with, with Emmaus, uh, Academy and all this, all this work that, that you're doing, um, how do people find it? How do they how do they subscribe? And uh, what does a subscription look like for them?
2: Yeah, well, we encourage people to to. There's there are different subscription levels, but we encourage people to go for the gold, <laughs> which is what we call the gold membership. It's twenty five bucks a month, you know, and um, and that gives uh, that opens up all of our online resources, like everything. Mm-hmm. So folks can get all of our legacy video products, and we've been doing video stuff for you know almost 20 years now. So we have all these great Bible studies, like you know our classic Genesis through Jesus, uh, you know, or Mary through the Bible, you know, the the Fathers in the Bible. All of these you know great uh, Bible study resources that we pioneered for uh, use in parishes. Mm-hmm. All of that's available on streaming. And so again. Uh, lazy man's uh, path for uh, you know parish men's group, parish women's sure. group, whatever adult ed, RCIA, whatever. Uh, you could just you know uh, uh, point and click basically with uh, with these with these programs, and then um, a lot of uh, our legacy audio products, a lot of uh, Dr. Scott Hans uh, presentations and so on are in video and audio on the website, mm-hmm. and then and then uh, again Emmaus Academy, our this new initiative. Which which has all of these, you know, short courses, very accessible but very meaningful. So it, a lot of it's like you know, they, they have you know they have these uh, these these best courses programs. Yeah. that I see advertised in magazines like take this course with this world renowned expert whatever. Um, it's a little bit like that because uh, taking a course in Emmaus Academy is is the best stuff out of a college course hmm. uh, in scripture in spirituality in prayer whatever the topic is you know typically taught by uh you know taught by folks from franciscan and other um you know great uh you know seminaries and and, and universities around the country uh but again with without all of the um the academic rigmarole that that makes it a drag <laughs> like having to do research you know yeah. and produce a paper and prepare for the online exam etc yeah. it's just you know get get to that that you know the 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 precious nugget in the, in the metal there. You yeah. know, kind of the center of the candy bar there.
1: How long are these? How long are these videos that that you produce? Yeah, they're typically about half hour, twenty minutes to a half okay. hour like Do you notice as you look back at the uh, at at the legacy videos? Do you notice like a change over time in in the way that the videos are are presented? Like, I look back now at like Bishop Barron's Catholicism series, and it's these. It's an hour long uh episode and, and maybe even more than an hour and then the next one same thing it's it's an hour or more and now you look at the stuff that he's producing and he's he's putting it out in these in these really digestible pieces but they're all connected it's it's basically one long presentation but he just breaks it up now uh, maybe I don't know maybe efficiently I don't know if that's quite the right thing but I think with like that idea of the uh, no prep necessary, Saturday morning men's group or the no prep necessary parish Bible study. Like let's do this short thing so that there can be more opportunity to engage with the conversation or to to ask questions, to dive a little bit deeper so that it's not all just we're watching this together, but we're really kind of getting into the conversation and talking about it. Um, Do you see that too with, with, uh, with your videos, the the legacy stuff. Oh yeah, to oh yeah.
2: There's there's definitely definitely yeah pressure to to package stuff in uh, in bite sized <laughs> yeah. pieces. So yeah. yeah, the ten minute unit, the fifteen minute unit, etc. So yeah, we're we're definitely it ends up you know eventually being the same thing because you just got to st- string along more of those. Yeah. But and part of it's the the hectic lifestyle. Um, and it's it's hard. I think all of us want to you know want to complete something, right? And like, okay, I've got 15 minutes here, and say, oh, I can get through this in that time, you know? And like, okay, so I'll click, I'll, I'll watch that, mm-hmm. you know. Um rather than a, a longer project going to get a start, stop, etc. So, yeah, I think with with uh, people have smaller time units available, um I think that the the pace of life has as increased, and so yeah, there's pressure to uh, to package stuff in, in uh, digestible uh, units for consumption. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, so maybe uh, just kind of in closing here then, uh, you've got Emmaus Academy, you've got these great books, the Bible basics, the love basics, and, and all this work that, that you're doing. Um, in, in a nutshell then, what, what's the advice that you give to a Catholic who's, who's looking to grow in their faith, who, who wants to know more and, and doesn't quite know where to begin?
0: I could answer that one yeah. sign up for emmaus academy <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> great job <Yes>. Matt.
2: <laughs> that would be good sign up for emmaus academy grab bible basics um but you know let, let me let me phrase it like this you know to to a, a catholic who's maybe younger than faith i would encourage them do not be intimidated by scripture scripture is your book it's your story mm. it's your family history you know, when you're reading about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, that's not an ancient people long ago. That's that's your people, okay? And, and they have become your people through baptism. When you were mm-hmm. baptized, that was your personal crossing of the Red Sea. It was also your personal sharing of Jesus being dunked in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And really, the, the sacraments are these, these powerful moments that draw you into... The story of Scripture, you know, world literature is is full of, um, you know, legends about a magic book that draws you in. Um, maybe that's all inspired by the Bible because the Bible is, so to speak, the magic book that draws you in, uh, and the sacraments are the portal. That uh, they are the, um, you know, the wardrobe uh, to use the C.S. <laughs> Lewis technique that that you walk through that bring you into the magic story. But I'm, um, it's not, you know, this is not fairy tale. This is, this is more real than the chair that you're sitting on mm. or your car or your bank account. Okay, this is ultimate reality. And uh, so, you know, to to again, to young Catholics, the, the Bible is your book. It's your story. You've been brought into it. It's your heritage, It's like looking through a family photo album. So own it, appropriate it. I'm a big advocate of um, of carrying a Bible with you. I carry a, a little New Testament with me everywhere I go. I learned this from a Catholic. <laughs> I, this is not a residue of my Protestantism. Okay. Um, but I was converted to the Catholic Church by a Bible toting Catholic who, uh, who kept a, a New Testament with him and, awesome. and was able to answer my objections to the faith by going to Scripture. And I was so uh, blown away by that, you know it was, it was well, if you can't beat him, kind of join him <laughs> thing. So um, again, you know, so just uh, to, to well, to all Catholics, I would say uh, appro- you know, own the Bible. The Bible is yours, Lean into the Bible, get familiar with it. Um, it's not something foreign. It's a home game for you. This is what you hear at worship. This is what you hear at mass. Uh, can't hurt. So many great resources out there to to get into it, and and it will really uh, be life changing. Amen.
1: Nice. Well, Dr. Bergsman, thank you so much. Uh, it's great to great to talk to you, and, and I'm really excited to to see what else uh, Emmaus Academy is coming out with. This is great. Thank you so much. Thanks. for yeah, Thank yeah.
2: you. It's been great to be out with you. Awesome. Thank you
1: so I'm getting really excited about all this stuff that's happening in the life of the church. It's, yeah. it's really cool. Um, I, did you,
0: I actually, I might be convinced to, to sign up
1: to, to get yourself. Get a gold yeah, membership I think, I think to it's a amaze. good idea. I,
0: no, I'm dead serious. I'm, I'm really considering, Look,
1: I'm, I'm looking at this as, as I, I if it wasn't for the fact that we do this podcast and we keep getting books sent to us um which yeah, is super yeah. helpful especially yeah. with with a lot of the commentaries that we end up getting to read it's given me all kinds of new insights into scripture so it's it's super helpful I for know. my own preaching but like if i'm
0: i'm still reading the michael Pakula book it's so book cool but if if i'm looking at, yeah, at yeah. some
1: of this stuff i think it's a great resource for anybody who's got to preach the gospel if you've got to give homilies like what what dr bergsman is doing what yeah. dr scott hahn's doing with all this stuff, it's, it's so good but what this is also yeah. really driving home for me is i don't know if uh, maybe it was a month or two ago i can't remember exactly um but if i don't know if you read or or heard about archbishop brolio's address to the u.s bishops at their meeting in baltimore
0: i did not I did not, but I'm hoping you'll find it. So me his about. his
1: address was I think very powerful and it was almost a like a point by point refutation of the papal nuncio's uh, argument in America magazine that the the bishops of the United States and the priests of the United States are just anti Francis and all this other stuff. Oh, I um, see. And that they, we have no interest in evangelization. We have no interest in doing anything to meet people where they are, taking care of the poor anything like that. And Brolio basically just laid out, right. he goes, here's all the charitable work that the church in the United States is doing. Here's all the places where uh, we're striving for evangelization. And I think, I'm not certain, but I think that St. Paul's was one of the places that he identified wow. as a, like a sign of hope. Wow. But I, I, I read this and and I... Or I, I I I see the stuff that Emmaus Academy is doing, that St. Paul's, the St. Paul Center is doing. And you just realize that there are these these really good people, really, really good people in the life of the church right now who are trying to evangelize and who want to make this available so that people can be better formed. And so it's not just about going out and doing the evangelization. It's also about helping people to be formed, like equipping the evangelists, equipping people so that they can be more effective as they go out and that's so exciting to see.
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean so my perspective right is knowing that Renee is a DRE, right? Um
1: that's Director of Religious Education. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. And and also she has the the word evangelization is in yeah. her title as well. I think I don't know if she's the Director of Evangelization or something, but yeah. you know. I, I guess I assume Father is the director of evangelization. <laughs> yeah, I mean um, that's that's fair. But, that's fair. But it's an extension to her, to her position. Um, a conversation in my home has been, well, there's only so many people that these that, that us who are directly involved with the parish can invite to fringe events. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so how right do you evangelize every parishioner in your parish? And St. Paul Center is answering that very question. much. You know, yeah. and, and so that you're, you're, I'm, I agree with you completely. It's huge. It's huge. What they're, what they're doing is yeah. amazing.
1: But I, I also like this idea of,
0: and we are a part of it. of it. I'm happy to be part of it. Happy to be <laughs> honored. In fact,
1: no, I, I like also the idea that
0: Father Sam Kachuba teaching on the liturgy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you don't want me teaching. It's not. It's not worth it. No. <laughs> <laughs> what what i love though is is this idea that there's there is an accessible way for anyone To learn the faith. And it's also a reminder, like what what they're saying is that it doesn't matter what your background is, you are capable of learning the Catholic faith and diving deeper into it uh, in a way that is serious, in a way that is like you have the capacity, you can do this. And it's nothing but encouragement for people. And that's, I think, a hugely important thing because we so often convince ourselves no i I couldn't do it i couldn't handle that kind of work or i'm not i'm not qualified i don't i don't know enough and and this is just saying yeah you are you are qualified you can do it and i think that's really profound
0: yeah capable and invited
1: exactly so dr john bergsman is doing incredible things the emmaus academy emmaus academic st paul center it's awesome check it all out it's all in the show notes yeah thanks matt
0: hey everybody i hope you enjoyed the show if you'd like to further support the tangent, please consider subscribing or following on your preferred platform, following us at the tangent underscore Catholic on Instagram, or even donating at veritascatholic.com. See you next time. God bless.